Coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. We're seeing the devastating impact of this invisible killer. There will come a moment when no health service in the world could possibly cope because there won't be enough ventilators, enough intensive care beds, enough doctors and nurses. That is the moment of real danger. The new variant is out of control and we need to bring it under control. And this news about the new variant has been a uh, an incredibly difficult end to, frankly, an awful year. And it's important for everybody to act, essentially act like they might have the virus. And that's the way that we can control it together. The way ahead is hard. And it is still true that many lives will sadly be lost. Our advisory group on new and emerging respiratory virus threats, NERVTAG, has spent the last few days analyzing this new variant. It may be up to 70% more transmissible than the old variant, the original version of the disease. You, you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Assume you might be infectious, assume you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Today, the United Kingdom's chief medical officers have advised that the country should move to alert level five, meaning that uh, if action is not taken, NHS capacity may be overwhelmed within 21 days. And it's going to spread further. And I, I must level with you, level with the, the British public. Um, more families, uh, many more families, are going to lose loved ones before their time. Your colleague on SAGE, John Edmonds, has just sent me a statement saying that as far as he's concerned, this is the worst moment of the epidemic because of the extraordinary inf infectivity of this new strain. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, this is a horrible moment for sure. I to say, I'm really sorry to hear about your two relatives who died from this virus. I mean, it is a very dangerous virus uh, for many people. We're looking to move to a different regime, so as we come to the fourth step, we will change the basic tools that we have used to control human behaviour.
doctor reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. Yeah, in a coup they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Now I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking village. Fuck these motherfuckers. Everything was just ever so slightly askew. Do you have, to paraphrase Mockfears, this winter in your life? If you're interested in hearing the latest information about UFOs, the paranormal, ancient cultures and structures, monatomic elements, longevity, fantastic discoveries in science, to your brain, then tune in to us. Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Mackie. And we are Shiny Side Out, Sundays, 2 to 4 a.m. Eastern. See you then. Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. Hi, this is Robert Stanley. I'm the host of the Unicus Report, where we explore enigmatic events taking place both on and off this world. Please join me Mondays from noon till 2 p.m. Eastern on Revolution Radio freedom's lips join me at revolution radio studio b at 11 a.m on saturday for free association when we take a look at philosophy spirituality psychology social issues and geopolitics it's every saturday at 11 a.m eastern on studio b at freedomslips.com for listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com the one place where information never sleeps Revolution Revolution Radio Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. It's Friday night. It's Revolution Radio. It's the Independent Broadcast Network.
Ed Baker. What's happening, Doc? It's good to oh. see you, man. How are you, Jimmy? Good to see you, bro. Doing good, man. Been too Doing long. Good. Yeah, has been. So, I mean, uh, whew. I mean, uh, where do we get started? Uh, what have you been up to? Let's 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 start there. What's what's been going on? So it's been like what, nine months or longer since we talked, no? Is it nine months? No. No, it can't be that long. That long. Uh, three, three or four months, maybe. But um, think. Maybe yeah. it just seems like a long time. Yeah. So much just too happened. Long. Yeah. So much has happened since the last time we talked, especially you know in the area that we specifically talked about for quite a bit. And uh, so what, what's been going on with you, man? What do you what do you been up to? Uh, same old, same old. Um, I'm continuing the pushback against, you know, what is, I, I would say, a, a global coup de grace uh, that's involved by warfare. I think it's involving hot warfare right now. Mm -hmm. And I think all we can try and do right now is to convince people to um, not get sucked into it too much avoid avoid the state apparatus as much as you can and um, try to crawl out the other side uh, as bad as things look now um, they have the potential for getting far far worse mm -hmm. uh, in the coming months and the you know what the specific projects that i've been working on so i've got good uh, friend colleague researcher here with me in japan uh, we've mm -hmm. made the decision to Try and write a book about what's happened. I think it's time that we get stuff down into written format. Um, mm -hmm. there's, there's been enough years past, and it's, it's important that we convey to people that what we have dealt with was biowarfare. And uh, uh, I, yeah. saw, I saw um, RFK had stated earlier today that... Uh, the United States of America, the USA, had the most COVID deaths out of any uh, countries around the world. Is that is that a fact? Um, that is true, um, per capita of population. And, you know, there's many, many reasons as to why that could be. Uh, you know, the, the simple fact is that SARS preys on weakness mm -hmm. and people who you know if you've got an issue health mm -hmm. chronic health issue chronically mm -hmm. inflamed um sars will um attack you there and the problem is in the united states that um, because of diet and lifestyle people are left open to um, to attack such that they got pulled in to the hospital systems and the hospital systems in the U.S. were literally financially incentivized to um, yeah. take you down specific treatment protocols and pathways, which um, in hindsight were um, very, very bad. Well, in terms of treatment, yeah. it, was, it was the wrong treatments for people. Definitely the wrong treatments. But the thing is, 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 the damage is so deep and widespread across such a vast array of circumstances that there, there's, I mean, how could, how could any kind of lawsuits or any kind of retribution ever be had by the people that have been injured by this whole situation that has gone on? 
That's mm. a very yeah. good question, a very difficult one to answer. Um, it's it's very obvious that the state apparatus are not going to, or they're going to make it as hard as possible to bring this, um, bring the the truth out. And you know, we're only three years post uh, virus release, two years release of the gene transfection technologies, which they called vaccines, and. You know, I was in a Twitter space earlier where the focus was SV40 and, you know, that's probably a yardstick for how how long it will take to get the, or, or, or to hold people to account. And the, I wish I had better news than that. That, that, that This uh, was very well, much. I mean, honestly, I don't see, I don't see how. I just don't see anyone ever really being able to get any kind of traction. And even if there was a case here or there, it's not going to make it onto the, it's not going to inflame others to come forward with their grief. No. So, so one of the things we've been working on, of course, is um, to get grand jury trials set up in the U S um, we do have one attorney general who's stepped up in Texas, Weasley. Um, the last name. <laughs> did uh, you? Did you? Now, what was that? What was that female doctor's name beginning with an M? That was on the Stu Peter show, and then she was in an airplane crash. What, what was her name? Oh, that is. Uh, yeah, or Malaya, Malaya, or something. Yeah, Maday. exactly. Did you know that some that she put out some protocol? And the guy and some guys followed the protocol, so having to do with uh, ingesting baking soda, and his he lost a family member. And oh shit! And <laughs> he's suing her now. Ebert Journeyman, when you looked into her earlier, when the dot when when she was on that Stu Peter show, now what was her qualifications exactly? Like she went to some tiny school somewhere. Was it her that? Or Julie something whatever right Julie or Judy um, this is Judy it was a, yeah yeah the, the one the one went to school in some like it's a it's a bus stop well it's a real place but it's, it literally just has a bus stop there's no parking lot in Portugal <laughs> so and, and it's like a bungalow it's a bungalow it's, it's literally the bungalow yeah. school yeah, yeah, you in Portugal well, yeah that's what I mean I mean you know it's a dangerous world out there uh, on the internet. And that's why we love having the doc come by because he can shed some reality on what's going on in a way that you, know, you can't really find uh, most places. So, Doc, I, I have a really I have a burning question for you, and it's been bothering me because I hear a lot of people talking about it, and it bothers me. So, I want to know: is is this idea of people who partook in the experiment is it possible for them to shed? Uh, and get other people sick if they're in the same room or, you know, whatever, or they smell. So I mean, there's people that say that people that partake in the experiment have a certain smell and all this. Is, is there any truth to any of that, man? So there's a manuscript that's been peer-reviewed and accepted and which shows that spike protein is circulating in the blood um, for up to 28 days 
in that particular paper. Other papers have pushed it out further, four, six months. And so there's a potential mechanism for the for it to be shed into the environment. What I would look at is how you've got to think about dosing, right? And um, that well, there are people can... that prefer by being in the same room with somebody that they can that it be having the effect on you is as same that you took partook in the in the experiment. And so um, what you're saying is that it's maybe possible in a certain period of time, but then it's dissipated by the amount of space there is. Yeah, it would be like a viral or bacterial infection, right? Um, you, and again, there's there's no studies that have looked at how much is being um, secreted either through like sweat, breath, etc. I'm sure there are. I'm sure it's detectable. If they were to look. But again, how much is um, active and how sensitive is the other individual to the, uh, to the particles that would be excreted uh, by the by the vaccine? Um, about, what about if a person is a person partook in the experiment and uh, a male and uh, he has he has sex with a female? Or let's just say he ha he just deposits his his semen somewhere. Um, uh, is it possible to transmit his vaccination over to the other person? In other words, the RNA thing that everybody's afraid of. So there is work by he sadly passed away in the last few months. Name is Professor Arna Burkhardt. He's done uh, studies where he has. So the technique is called immunohistochemistry. You tag uh, with antibodies, and he's looked at the uh, reproductive organs of males, testes, and found that it's full of spike protein in that particular case. I would make the presumption that in that instance, I mean, the person is dead, obviously, that's why we got a... Ward. Mm -hmm. there's a potential yes if if we're finding it in autopsy and necropsy there's a potential that it could um be passed that way a again you know the the spike protein is not it's not infective in the classical sense like you would think of viruses um the the area of concern is that the peptides that make up so the amino acid chains that make up that spike protein, they mm. have what are called amyloidogenic properties. And that potentially could cause some protein misfolding to occur and to begin kind the process. What kind of amino acids? Which ones? Um... Well, I could pull the link up, but, you know, amino acids that you find in every day. Because, I mean, the reason I was asking it, because it just it, a light went off in my mind when you said that, is because, you know, when you have genetically modified organisms in, in a person's diet, 
that there's there's unnatural amino acids that occur in the human body. That so they're, they're not unnatural. The issue is is the sequence in which the amino acids are formed, right? Mm -hmm. they're, 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 not, um, they're not different amino acids to the proteins that make you up. It's just the order in which they're sequenced together, and that makes them potentially uh, toxic or amyloidogenic or, or to act like a prion, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, we need... Th there is... Beginning in the literature in the last few weeks, a um, couple of reviews, well, a review, which has begun to ask the question, what should we know about amyloidosis from both infection and the vaccination? So the dam is breaching somewhat in, in the... What's amyloidosis? So amyloidosis is a form of disease which has parallels with prion disease right so prion disease uses or triggers misfolding of the prion protein in amyloidosis you have the amyloid peptide doing the same oligomerization meaning it's joining pathologically to other um, pept amyloid peptide sequences such that they form these plaques and tangles, which um, can kill, are, are cytopathic and neurotoxic. And, you know, in, even in prion disease, the canonical one, uh, Kreutzfeldt Yakov, or mad cow disease, you'll actually find amyloid plaques in the brain uh, post mortem. So, amyloid is one of these um, peptides that we look at that we've come to think of as part of, part of the chronic disease mechanisms for these protein misfolding disorders. Doc, let me ask you this now. There's been a bunch of talk recently about the beef industry. And also, there's been talk coming out of the Gates Foundation in relation to veg vegetables. But the first thing I wanted to ask you is, it's being inferred that these that certain beef producers will inject their livestock with this uh, injectable, the Michelle Pfeiffer, and that when you eat that steak, it's the same as if you went down and stuck your arm out. Is that true? Um, again, I would... I don't want to say a definitive answer in this situation. I will say this. Right now, I'm writing a letter of concern with other individuals um, about the veterinary use of uh, lipid nanoparticle or gene transfection technologies being used widely in the agricultural and veterinary domain. Um, again, we don't have the long-term studies, and we're only, despite three years of me trying to raise the alert, and there being some studies which have pointed out the amyloidogenic risk of producing, making the body produce these peptides, right, which have these peptide sequences, which we know cause this more fundamental disease process 
um you know there's is, is that closer to to alzheimer's like the plaques in built where it, or it covers or is it uh like in a chain where it makes a pattern yes it isn't necessarily yeah yeah and it's the so um kreutzfeldt yakov disease bivine spongiform encephalopathy those are the really um severe yeah. and fast prions yeah prions alzheimer's parkinson's lewy body dementia the list goes on are all prion like disorders they all have protein misfolding at their their core pathology in in this instance we try to say that there's the the peptide of concern is different for each pathological condition but the simple fact is is that there's a lot of overlap between them um, well is it is it possible to have uh, uh the society in general could be having symptoms of of all those different things uh, yeah. alzheimer's uh and that's why we see some of the i mean i i'll put it you know i'm not afraid to say um are we could, could we be seeing some of what you had talked about originally with what you saw with this particular thing with uh covid that there's there's literal um psychopathy going on yeah. there's literal um problems like uh for example uh people going crazy people spitting on fruit and doorknobs and you know going into a tourette's type of fit type of thing right yeah just look around and these, well, it's brain fog too right yes brain fog as well um these are all manifestations of these processes um that are initiated by these peptides of concern now you know the important thing and perhaps the main reason why i'm here was to speak about the uh, book that we're hopefully yeah, get out sure. very very soon um, and it's it's mccarrandojo.com if you well, want to go the, the book site it's still somewhat under construction it needs some work but it's watchmakers.org and the reason that we're calling it the watchmakers this is uh, based on charles rixey the ex-marine wmd expert and he he penned an article in well as a tribute to luc montagnier who first looked at sars the virus and said that um this is a very very obvious synthetic chimera meaning the chimera is just a mix of different species if you like and the watchmakers for want of a better expression are the weaponeers who have spent decades trying to understand the implication of these peptide sequences and the underlying genetic uh, signatures and we we are highly confident that SARS has elements from HIV, um, homologies from HIV, I should say. Um, there are, again, these amyloidogenic prion-like epitopes in the, uh, in the spike protein, but also in the, in the 
peptides that the virus itself makes and the well even even to the observation that SARS-CoV-2 has a peptide sequence in it which it's not part of the spike protein uh, but it's not seen in other Sarbeco viruses which SARS is a member of and it is a again a highly amyloidogenic peptide it's neuroinvasive and these disease processes are cumulative right so the more you get exposed the more um the more of these amyloidogenic inflammatory processes can take a hold and you know the numbers are still running the same that um it's about 30 10, so the, the figures vary, but, but from 10 to 30 percent suffer from post-acute sequelae of COVID, and this is that the, they talk about brain fog, joints aching, muscles aching, and this is a well. We're talking about bio weapons and. What the watchmakers are trying to do is to, they don't want a lethal agent. They want something called an incapacitation agent. Mm -hmm. And the deaths are, that they wouldn't be aiming for those deaths right away. They would want them to be surreptitious. And they want the symptoms to be surreptitious. So it's hard to make the connection between yeah. the disease, uh, the viral exposure, and also the transaction technologies is this like once a person's been exposed to the to the bioweapon that even if the if the if the you know incapacitating symptoms go away does it still lay dormant in a person uh yeah, to an extent yes can, can i take a guess uh, i think the watchmaker thing like see if i'm right uh, i could be wrong but but i think what you're describing is Basically, you're setting the gears, the sprockets, and all the pieces of the uh, the, the watchmakers are making that, in, that all the way they all interact together. Those are the things that interact together with it. So when you wind the watch, essentially, you can activate it and work in a rhythm in time. Uh, well, so those pathways, those pathways are are basically the the gears and sprockets and springs and things of the of the timepiece. So, analogy is correct, but we have a. We're just using a slightly different interpretation, which is that there was a, a, a contentious debate. It sounds like a, you could guess it's still ongoing between creationists and um, evolutionary biologists. I've right? heard of that one. <laughs> yeah. And um, there was a, oh, I forget the name of the author now, but he was a creationist who basically made the argument that we're so intrinsically complex that it implies a cosmic watchmaker to um to explain our existence as it were and that's sort of the creationist worldview whereas an evolutionary biologist would make the argument with enough time and enough random or uh, uh environmental driven adaptation and mutation eventually um hominids jump out of the trees and um, next thing you know we're building internets and cities and um, doing doing things like we're doing now and there are people who would weaponize that that process the technology process 
and this is a um, this is what we're dealing with right now. These people do not want their weapons programs exposed. This is this is why they're going to such active lengths to gaslight the public, and we. We try to. We have to expose them now, and it's a continual fight. The this isn't new. This has been going on since, well, at least the Second World War. This is the obviously the paperclip um, scientists who came well, from so, Germany. So, so I mean, in terms of the uh, operations, then you know we're all living in the kill box. Yes. Yeah, very, very much so. Well, so they... Bruce McDonald. There's, there's no way you can stop now, Doc. I mean, you're on, you're on their radar. I mean, it's beyond you being on their radar. You have to. There's a, there's a point in a fight where you can't return, right? Like, let's say, to you know, the old Spanish or Italian family feud in the 1500s. You know, you've, you've crossed a line when you, when you kill one of their sons. It's like a blood feud at that point. You're in it whether you want to get out of it or not. And these people. Um, so let, let me just say, and like maybe I shouldn't have said that. I didn't mean to sound spooky no, 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 or no. scary. You, 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 you summed it up perfectly. And uh, I, I'm on their list. I'm on their list, too, for other reasons. Um, now, here's the curious thing. Um, medicine is not the only front in this war. Like, I mean, I've been saying this on air for months now. If, if you think you're in anything other than a fight for your life right now, you're absolutely crazy. And the enemies are, at least in the Western world, the enemies are not outside the borders. It's Joe Biden. It's Justin Trudeau. It's Emmanuel Macron. It's it's the leaders themselves. I can't speak for the Far East. I mean, they're a different place altogether. I mean, if China has to meet a quota of 400 million deaths to meet their end of the bargain in whatever this international treaty is, I mean, they'll do it openly. I mean, you know, at least in the dictatorships, they don't lie to you. There's a certain dignity in that. You know yeah. what I mean? You know where you stand, right? Rather than being gaslit. Yeah. By, uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, you're, you're We're joining right. the World Economic you're Forum. Right. 400 million of you have to die. Bring out your elderly relatives and, and the brother-in-law you never liked, and let's get this over with. <laughs> and I think it's a, li it's a little more complex than the, oh, they just want to depopulate. Um, for sure, that's part of their modus operandi. This is the Club of Rome, Kissinger etc the the limits to growth um th they've been pushing this line of reasoning for a very very long long time and uh right now i would say we're seeing a push to implement these policies which have permeated the for want of a better expression the the management class and it it comes across it comes through on multiple uh, dimensions, you know, the obvious one being climate change. Um, there's too many of you. Uh, the world can't support you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and um, we need to, we need to. Well, they're, they're, at least they're forthright in saying this: that that you have to cut down your access to uh, the 
elements that we take for granted right now. And that, that could be very basic things like access to fuel, access to clean meat, protein sources. We're seeing the moves right now as they try to shut down agriculture because of perceived um, pollution issues. And, you know, this is very obvious in Holland right now, which is one of the most productive pieces of land on the planet. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing, we're seeing this extend to the U.S. as well. And, you know, ev everything will come under this surveillance. Everything will be blockchained. Everything will be... Um, taken and, and accounted for and you will be allotted your your portion and you you better shut up and take it as they um as they force it on you in such a manner that if you if you do not comply if they get their way that they will they will stop your ability function in this world take away banking oh. Supposed to be mid July is when these uh, central bank digital currencies are supposed to come online, and uh, you know I honestly, I mean, we were talking about it earlier, Doc. Um, Epic Journeyman was bringing the new Apple augmented reality virtual reality headset to the table, and we were we were talking earlier about well, if you had one of those, that would put you right into one of those you know five by five tubes, you know, with the kitchen with your $1,600 a month and your gray jumpsuit and, uh, you know, uh, step on out into the world and make sure that, you know, you come up green when you show up at the door. It's, what is it they, they have down, uh, Doc? Have, have you heard about the uh, traffic light system down in Australia they're going to be using? Yeah. Similar system in the UK. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned the East... I don't think we see these chaotic moves being made in the East because they've al they're already achieved what it is that they need, which is a very compliant um, population who, you know, will go along and conform to the dictates of the day. Um, the upper T Anglosphere is another matter, and. Um, they have to they have to break your will right now and we've seen over the last three years that most people most people for either through fear or because they believe the um essentially propaganda that's pushed out will do the same um it's it's just that we can be somewhat more vocal and um, we still have some sovereign rights that allow us to uh, to push back and you know america is the bulwark for that but they're they're winning in this fight but put it that way right <laughs> all all us sitting around this uh zoom call um skype call um we're old our time's literally come and gone right and mm -hmm. it's it's the young that they're targeting right now and you know when they when they take out the older generation which they have done over the last three years yeah, lose that collective wisdom and the young coming through are, are easier prey 
for these people and their control systems. And I'll just I'll just add this that the twenty first century Bolshevism is coming through the medical system. Class warfare didn't work for them. It's the same people, okay, but they realize that it, it's too contentious. The human spirit wants to strive to um, you know, get a get a new car, get you know, lift themselves up somewhat. And um it was too too fractious uh, a philosophy. But what these uh, WEF-type management class have realized is that pretty much everyone requires medical attention of some form or another. And it mm -hmm. might even be minimal, like a dental visit for a clean and a checkup, right? But they know that they can get us through that system, and that's why I think we're seeing it being weaponized in the fashion that we are or we have seen in the last three years hey doc were you at san francisco state uh no um you were you were here somewhere in the in the on the west coast yeah i was at ucsf so let me ask you this were you ever here for a fourth of july yeah many times okay well so do you remember what it was like when you were here when I mean, you just when you when you were when you saw when you were here, Fourth of July, the fireworks went up. How many, do you see a lot of American flags? Yeah, of course. I, I loved yeah. it. I loved America just for the uh, pride that you had. In, right? So tainted right now, but um, the I want, to point, I want to point something out in reference to what you were saying earlier about this demographic, because uh, we were talking at the beginning of the show that I was saying I hardly saw any American flags anywhere. And then I asked Rio, what did he see any? What about you, Epic Journeyman? How many did you see? Because what we're saying is the people that used to fly those flags are no, are no, are no longer in, in the majority anymore in America. That saw less and less flags. It's almost to the point where you see so few, it almost marks you as a, uh, as a troublemaker. Right, right. Yeah. I'll call the cops. No, I didn't see a single one, honestly. And I had I had the fourth off. I had to work the day before, but uh, I got up. I went and had a uh, you know a meal for Fourth of July. And went out and about, and uh, you know obviously it's an island, but you'd expect somebody would have them on their porch or in the car, flying behind them or something like that. And I didn't see one, not one. Well, so if, so if I'm looking over the landscape, then I see that it's pretty easy to manipulate some people that really don't have any sweat equity in the building of the country. They don't have their they don't have not to say that what you create on the Internet isn't uh, a value or that you can't make money, but it has not no brick and mortar to it. There's no sweat equity in it. There's no, I built that building or, you know, this type of thing. And so those people are dying off. The people that would, you know, who, who believed in the American dream, the people that believed in the freedoms that were, we supposedly had, uh, all those people uh, who would go and die, you know, for their country. I don't, I don't, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone right now who would just willingly go die for their country uh, called America. Uh, people are, go ahead. Seeing that in the uh, recruitment figures right now, the U.S. military is struggling to reach its quotas. And you know, the simple fact is, is that uh, it was primarily sort of conservative types who would go into those services. And 
those services have become a mockery with this and this this is all part of the same deconstructionist neo-bolshevik attempt to um break break your will and you know the look the, the u.s is sort of 20 30 years behind where the uk was or is but it's the same methodology that they used there as being rolled out in the U the, the US and it's surveillance it's total surveillance um it's it's more subtle than when i was um a lad growing up i remember watching the cameras going up and you know <laughs> it was hey that's something that you know the berlin wall was still up etc and that's what they do over there that's that, that's their modus operandi but it it, mm. it was us that have done that and look i'm not saying that um, Russian Federation as it is right now isn't bringing in smart systems etc they are doing that as well but we we were supposed to be able to um, eschew this um, need for surveillance and this is this is what this management class are dependent on and what they uh, are banking on right is that they have total full spectrum surveillance such that they can then mold the population in a way that um, they're able to maintain control and maintain the hierarchies that have existed for centuries because we got like a food source like the industrial military complex um, so there there's an unlimited amount of money in that in that game so there's no, there's really at that point, there's nothing that you can't do. It, I mean, is there, I mean, it really just whatever. I mean, do you know, have you heard of this Dr. Giordano? Yes, I know him well. What do you think? What do you think about him? And now is he just, I mean, you know, he, he's, some of the stuff he brings to the tables is super intense. I mean, obviously, um, you know, some of it's blue sky because he's a set, you know, he's selling certain types of ideas and technologies directly to the military. So so necessarily everything he says isn't necessarily a reality. Like I remember five or six years, seven years ago, people were talking about quantum computing and, and, and networking and stuff, and it's not here and it's not there, but we bring back information from, you know, somewhere else, this type of thing. But the reality of it is that there really wasn't all that much data going back and forth it was it was really a small breakthrough at the time but it's far beyond that now but at the time it was people made more of it than it actually was well wind back 50 years and look at computing back then a bit more now but you know i i can remember when there was no such thing as a home computer, maybe a little game console and computer computers were big, huge hulking boxes that took up whole rooms, etc. But there was still the, uh, the relentless push to say, oh, this this technology is going to free man from all his burdens. We're going to be, you know, it's like uh, nuclear power, right? The energy will be too cheap to meter and the 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 computers are going to take the uh, the heavy load off. I don't see that happening. What I it, it could happen, 
Um, but the, the people, the predator class, do not want to democratize and allow these technologies into the hands of us, the Untermensch, and they want to maintain control because they they, they look they simply view us as cattle to be managed. And the well, simple do you think do you think by forcing because here's what's going on. I mean, about uh, three weeks ago, I saw a story where China had moved into this system where in order to remove your money from the bank, you had to have a facial scan. And in the video that I saw was these young young people with grandpa in a wheelchair with an oxygen bag shoving his face up into the window at the bank so he can make a withdrawal. You know, and so then about two weeks after that, I start hearing all of this digital fingerprint from Obama. And then I start hearing from the World Economic Forum, you know, on because what moving into this central bank digital currency format for total control uh they need to have positive identification of individuals so they're going to need they're going to either need a retina scan uh facial recognition um or some sort of dna type sample um but whatever it is it will be your your positive id worldwide that'll be tied into you know what we talked about earlier was the certificate of vaccination and the program started in uh, 2019 and that certificate of vaccination id um 19 when it started is about to start to come into full view because part and and part and parcel of of the whole uh, injectable was to force this worldwide id system to where you can't participate in society unless you're on the ID system, Doc. What about it? Yeah, we're watching it manifest in real time right now. And look, this all of us are in some form or another contributing to this system. We're giving it data, and we're look, man. How many how many people here are gonna forego their ability to transact? Right when when your bank says to you, hey, well, you know, you've got to. Uh, you, you, we need the biometrics right now, and you know they could they could bring it through any any form of contrived crisis, right? Um, you know, one of the one of the big ones which the World Economic Forum is talking about is um, you know hacking and taking down so, of cr- critical. If I may. Yeah. Okay, so um, I've actually become something of an expert in this area uh, due to a client I have right now um, as a professional writer. And so I've been doing a lot of blogging on open banking, which is um, a system of banking in which your bank account details are shared. And this is the basis of a new security system. Now, the the biometrics won't mean that you have to physically go into a bank. They'll be able to do everything off your cell phone. Yes. But when you look when you look at the state of banking and when you look at the hacks that have come about in the last ten years, beginning with probably the most famous hack of the last decade, which was 
Yahoo in 2013 and pretty much destroyed the the con- company. I mean, they're they're still crawling along, but they didn't hey, even I still release have the final email. Smart way. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> they didn't even release the final details till 2018. They waited five years, but uh, like some like 3.4 billion users were affected by the hack. So, um, so positive so, ID, Bruce. Well, look, I'm I'm okay, I'm okay with it. Like even now, like so, I I use a, I use a Canadian bank, and I live in Costa Rica, and I transfer a lot of money through a global money transfer system. Basically, they they've put the SWIFT system online now, so you can do your own SWIFT transfers for no money. They well, the bank makes money on the currency conversion. So I, I pay all my bills over here by bank transfer. They take three or four days to reach the client. So if I see a MacBook Pro on Facebook Marketplace I want to buy in Costa Rica, I contact the person, I get their bank details, and I transfer them the money. Well, how now, do, how do I know it's you? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a well, um, you just interrupted me at the perfect point. There's a three-stage security protocol right now. Right. So I have to I have to map it to my bank account to my cell phone. And then my cell phone sends me that they send a, a six-digit code to my cell phone and then I have like 90 seconds to enter it. And then and then I have to enter it right away and submit it. So, I mean, and and all of this is yes, we're moving to a non-paper system. There's there's no doubt about that, but I don't see it as as as, as ominous as everybody as we're making it out to well, be. I think it's. It, I am. I do think it's ominous. But, you know, we're not even really making it out, I and mean, we're just take stating it fact for fact. Now, number one, in the process that you just described to me, uh, if I was sitting on your phone and I got that six-digit code when it came in, when I saw it, like I got a mirror of your phone. Because yeah. then that's that you don't want that to happen, see. And the way that you would stop yeah, that, it, the way you stop called, that, the way you would stop it from happening is having a positive ID system, right? So well, it's it's already it's already a two-factor system. So I have to log on with my password onto the bank's website, and then I have to do two-factor authentication for that. And then when I go to log on to the global money transfer system, I have to do a two-factor authentication for that. And then when I finish the details, like the amount of money I want to send to who's ever receiving the money, before that gets sent, I have to do another two-factor authentication. It's literally impossible remotely to hijack that process. I mean, well, somebody could come to my, could come to my house. The description. In my head. The description of that process that you just described to me, the description of it, mm-hmm. it reminds me yeah. of when I used to stand in line at the airport and all the other people that had the had they went and gave their ID and all that stuff and they had the positive ID, they were just walking through, pulling their basket, you know, whatever. And I'm standing over there in line sweating it out with like nine other, you know, thousand other people. Because I didn't positive ID myself. What I'm saying to you is that whole thing you just described right there is completely eliminated with a positive ID where they, you just look your phone in the eye and that's the end of it. Or you stick your yeah. hand over the top of your phone and that's the end of it. You know, you know so when, or, but so, when so we talk let me, about- let me let me just say politically speaking, politically speaking, the difference there's a difference between a democracy and a democratic republic. But what gets pushed 
as this ideal system is this sort of this democracy idea. So if the democracy idea cannot be disintegrated in order to you have to you still have to have this idea of a democracy where people can vote and their voice matters. Uh, you can't take that away. That's the basis of everything. So if in fact that's the truth about it, then could this not be a checkmate move where when you actually sign up for the positive ID, now you eliminate the need for representative government. In other words, you're almost inviting an electronic anarchy at that point because you could vote directly. Your vote could actually count from wherever you are on your phone, wherever it is. So, I mean, this this idea could actually be turned around against the system. Yeah. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. It's, it's not necessarily, you know, bad. You know what I mean? Good. Because well, no way- I, 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 would, I would just inject here and just say that we don't own server farms, the bare metal, fiber optic cables. So again, these are all owned by the corporations and predator class that they will, mm-hmm. they, we've seen that what they can do. You just got a taste of it in the, in the last three years. And you write about these um, vaccine certificates coming through. Um, your ability to um, go about your business as you, as, as God intended, um, will be, or, or could be severely curtailed and you know it's happened it's happened to me over the last three years for speaking out which is they'll remove banking from you that's a that's a tough one to get round when you're um when everything right now is internet based and you know i went a long long time without having um a phone number because you know, i didn't i don't like being tracked i wouldn't want a never wanted to be in sort of public view like I am right now but I, I was forced to I had to go and get a cell phone number that was tied to me that phone comes with biometric um, controls on it that allows me to get into the phone and then everything that I'm doing now like I say is um, some form of two-way uh, security protocol to get into uh, a service that you want to use and th- these these people will n- not think twice about using it to cajole and push you into a particular direction and it's it's very much you now it's cliched but they want a chinese type social credit score system i mean we already have one with your credit score anyway but um, they just want it to be all encompassing and a, a mm-hmm. central well, pillar of this doctrine is this idea of one health where they're going to say to you that oh, because of the risk of disease X or whatever, you can't do you can't do option one, two or three that you had planned for that day. And the. <laughs> Look, as, as someone who yeah. lived half my life pre-internet, um, I don't like where this is going. I don't like the surveillance state. I don't like the... Um... Well, that's what I was talking about earlier about the food source, is that once 9-11 happened, the big industry that that popped up was security. So because there's a big bunch of money to be spent on security, all these companies and ideas start coming forward. 
you know, and they start rolling this stuff out, you know, and they, they get it all honed in and dialed in way before, uh, you know, we're ever even aware of it. It's like you, like you were saying, you, you remember when the cameras went up and I've talked about how once cameras go up after at first you notice them and then after a while you forget they're there. And the thing is they don't even need those really overt ones now because we're all carrying around um, mics and cameras. And we just saw in France the French government vote unanimously to, and of course they're doing it anyway, but to monitor, they're telling you, we're monitoring you in real time what your cell phone is watching and listening to, right? And again, in a... A crisis situation and the, the state gives themselves those powers and they never walk them back and this is what Edward Snowden talks about all the time and we're we're, we're literally just sheep or cattle being walked into the the slaughter pen yeah yeah doc it's Chris here um State, taking one step above even the in the local governments, then the WHO treaty comes out and tells the local governments on how, on what they're going to do, mm-hmm. you know, and they turn over their sovereign power to WHO, so the you know the WHO WHO actually uh, seems to be on top of the pile. Who would you who would you think would be above the WHO? I don't know. That's a difficult question. I mean, the, the people with that type of power, if they don't want to be known, ain't going to be. <laughs> Ain't gonna be on the TV. And this talk, we're coming up at the top of the hour. Do you want to stick around, or you got to take off? No, I'm good. You gonna stick around? Yeah. All right. It's Revolution Radio. It's the Independent Broadcast Network. Um, McCarranDojo.com. What's the? Do you have the book uh, address again? Watchmakers.org. Uh, it's it's not it's not out yet. This is a this is a work in progress. But we just it's a it's a last last a ditch attempt to. Tell the people what's what's actually going on, and I'll continue this after the break. But these guys are freaks with these with these vapes. Hey, man, if you're going to take a hit off your vape, Chris, mute up, dude. You sound like that dude. You sound like Dennis Hopper and Blue Velvet. Yeah, you might be hearing me, dude. I've got filters. <laughs> we're already busting. We're already busting Bruce's balls last week. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Oh, like- Probably right. me. Listen, we'll be right back. Doc McCarran's here, McCarran Dojo. Uh, Bruce McDonald, you find his books on Amazon. He's Independent Broadcast Network, 7 a.m. Pacific, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern. Rock and Rio, you still there? So listen. Take yourself like a five or six minute break. I'll be over here at the, on the wheels of steel.
I'm living my life like a good homo sapien But all around me everybody's multiplying And they're walking around like flying man So I'm no better than the animals sitting in the cages in the zoo man Cause compared to the flowers and the birds and the trees I am an ape man I think I'm so educated and I'm so civilized Cause I'm a strict vegetarian and inflation and starvation and the crazy politicians I don't feel safe in this world no more I don't wanna die in a nuclear war I wanna sail away to a distant shore and make like an ape man Bruce McDonald, you got yeah. monkeys. You got monkeys in those trees over there. <laughs> he does. You're muted. You're muted. Want to address that song though? We we'll get a chance later. Yeah, let's do address now. right. Address it right now. We're here with Doc. <laughs> yeah, it was just a random yeah, thought that came to my head a while back. And, and you know, you know what came to my head? A lot of things, right? But this particular one. Um, we're talking about genetic markers earlier with the doc. And uh, 23andMe's identifying all these people through genetic markers, among other research sites, air quotes research, right? Mm -hmm. People pay for it. Mm -hmm. But what are they actually looking for? And you know what occurred to me is that there's this, there's, they all have something in there that nobody really expected. They want to find out if they're from England or if they're from uh, Asia or they're Native American or whatever, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it turns out they all have one of these markers, which is Neanderthal. Neanderthal, the only extinct race. Neanderthal. I mean, there's met other extinct races, but the only widespread extinct race. What, what if that's what they're looking for? They're looking for the people with the most Neanderthal genetic markers because Neanderthal are the closest to Nephilim, but the Neanderthal are indeed Nephilim, right? And that's, that's what they're looking for to, to regenerate that particular uh, path, that particular ah. race again. 
I'll give them more grounded. Uh, <laughs> as, as, to, as to what they're looking for. Well, it's a Friday night thing. I just came, you know, came ahead well back. I was like, you know, what, what is? You know? I've seen I, I, I've seen Hindu artwork where there's Neanderthal carrying rocks and building a stone bridge for some white-faced uh, dudes that are hovering off the ground. So I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe they weren't as so uneducated as as uh, the scientists put forward. What about that? How educated could a Neanderthal be? I, I I would give a different example. If you wanted to look for, if you're looking at physiognomy as a marker of physical robustness, um, you know what we do in biology is we look at brain case size and. I encourage everyone to just go and look at uh, modern human beings versus Cro-Magnon. So, right, and Cro-Magnon yeah. is is a foot tall, on average, taller than the average Homo sapien. Brain case is twenty to thirty percent bigger. Um, these does are a big, does a bigger brain uh, mean uh, a higher uh, thought? ability or i mean in other words why couldn't a caveman invent a bicycle so the operational paradigm is that look uh a elephant has a big brain and a whale has an even bigger brain the the question is about connectivity and the ability to manifest in the environment which is which is you know why the tensile hand and finger are so so important that um what you can manipulate or hominids can manipulate the environment in such a way as that they can see change and the uh, and that knowledge can then be passed down particularly once language has been developed and you know, there's a lot of neuroscience about how language is involved in neural development and the um, the emergence of this increased complexity in terms of synaptic connections, I guess, is the... Well, so like, for example, in the movie Space Oddity, uh, there's a scene there where the monkeys grab that bone and then they they kill the other monkey, the other monkeys. Is that is that a kind of a moment? In other words, uh, we've discovered this tool, this bone. Now well, we... you know that it, it, so, that movie is deep, right? In terms of the concepts it's trying to relay, and you know, I'm. You know, this was a discussion I was having recently with Charles being here and. And just you know, when when you're able to talk human to human, mm-hmm. um, you can explore many many more topics. And, you know, one of the th- Charles is a sort of historian and um, had a very sort of canonical view of human history that um, we only got our shit together in the last six thousand years. Um, fossil evidence shows that there were anatomically modern humans going back hundreds of thousands. Of years, my experience with apes and monkeys would be that 
our history is far more complex than we've we're giving credit to and you know the and this is something that authors like graham hancock and randall carlson sort of talk about that there's there's a uh periodic reset that occurs um potentially an impactor whatever you know the planet-wide um catastrophe of your choice but there's um it seems it seems as though that what we're what we're told and how things got to the way that they are is a is a simplified storyline something that everybody said that they agreed on you know and then they just went from there because i mean seriously when when i hear someone saying to me that they're gonna that they're gonna drill a hole okay and then they're gonna pull out what they get out of that hole they're gonna pull it out and they're gonna look at it and they're gonna they're gonna tell what happened on the earth for the last two hundred and fifty thousand years. In other words, I can I can look at this piece of thing that I pulled out and I can see right here that there was way more carbon in the air than there is now. You know what I mean? This this type of thing. I mean, it's like I mean, is there any way for anybody to justify or, or prove any of that? I mean, any one of these things that's brought forward and put forward by the by the powers, you know, what do they call these people that sit back and, and make sure everything in the university system all follows the same protocol? What is that called? There's a there's a name for it. Yeah. Academic. And it's yeah. difficult to break that um line of thinking and reasoning and um theories die with the professors old saying goes um we're and uh, again you know i i remember reading graham hancock's fingerprints of the gods yeah young young lad and mm-hmm. you know what seemed like a very uh, you, you know there was a convincing argument in his book but all credit to him he's he's continued to pursue the line that there was a ice age and pre-ice age civilization at least that was seafaring and had an understanding of astronomy that you know was very very sophisticated if you can if you can encode and understand that the earth is wobbling on a 26,000 year hysteresis um that that requires some very sensitive measurement and generations of observation it, and what we've found right now or, or what they've pointed to um is the they have the comet research group which shows mm-hmm. that there was a probable impactor that hit the ice sheets 12,000 years ago and our that civilization was essentially wiped out. Now, did it wipe every human being out? No. Um, you know, if, if something happened... Southern Hemisphere, yeah. If something happened today... Well, uh, so, the, so this uh, transitional point in supposed... And Bruce, I know you wanted to jump in there too. Uh, there's this evolutionary point where supposedly... 
you know, we, you know, we go from fish to froggy, you know, to lizard to man or to whatever, you know, and monkey to man. And then, so there's this uh, bone they found, the Piltdown Man was supposedly this crossover that proved the theory of evolution. Yeah, that was wrong. And, that was an or- orangutan jaw or yeah, that. Oh, yeah, it was a pig jawbone. And what are the odds that the, that Darwin and all these people and Freud and their, their epic journeyman, what is the what is the uh, generational connection between this Darwin and Freud and and the and the Piltdown man? The whole thing is is like put together. I mean, can no, you... it is. And uh, uh, Darwin, you know, uh, Charles Darwin was set up by his father when his, the, the Beagle was set out there on his expedition. I mean, it was it was well taken care of and it had a plan in place when it went. I'm not saying his observations weren't true because they're, they're pretty darn good. I mean, The Origin of Species is actually a really well-written book, but uh, yeah, it's it you know it, it is good it is a it is a good observational testimony to what adaptation is, but adaptation isn't necessarily evolution as we know it. They're kind of two different things. You know, one thing doesn't become another; it adapts, right? And and that was a, that the missing link isn't just human beings; it's pretty much any creature, right? How does it become one thing and then become another? You know, adapting this quite there the same. are so many complex processes going on inside of a human being to keep you alive for 60 seconds it's like it's like saying you put all the pieces of a rolex in a brown paper bag and shake it up and have a watch pop out yeah, that's the watchmaker hypothesis um, there's no way you're here and and this our our design is not somehow designed uh some somehow that didn't just happen by accident or along the way i would say this that as a credentialed supposedly scientist um in in those life sciences um not everything is in our books or on the internet and we are barely scratching the surface right now the the issue i have is the hubris that's being inflated and again if, either through perverse incentives what whatever whatever's driving these people that they think that they they can control these elements of nature and biology and our existence including our spiritual and metaphysical existence and they they are uh, i bet you're you know what i bet you you're the best person in the world i could ask this question because i asked epic earlier and he didn't know now there's let me start by asking this as far as your brain functionality how much of of the magnetic field is involved in your brain in other words uh you know, north and south and, you know, being connected to the earth and all that, how, how, how much is that animates our actual brain? So as a neuroscientist, I know trying to racking my brains. Trying... He's very famous for. So oscillations, um, I'm, I'll make the presumption that most people understand what i mean by that just have periodic 
frequencies in a field, mm-hmm. electrical field. And his contention is that with our, our bodies are tuned to the oscillations of the planet. Now, most people will be familiar with uh, human resonance. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a sort of seven to eight hertz oscillation. Now, your brain has a lot of those oscillations in that frequency domain, um, alpha, alpha oscillations, and it'll it'll jump around between these lower end um, alpha, delta, up to beta oscillations, sort of fifteen to forty hertz into higher gamma oscillations. Um, and his, his contention is, is that we're riding these oscillations. We can't disconnect ourselves from it. And, you know, that's... Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you described it in the way that you did because now the reason that I asked you that question was because of this. Now, there's talk about um being inside of a electric vehicle and the magnetic fields that are generated by the batteries causing people to have issues but my more concern is these goggles that epic was talking about earlier epic journeyman so now here's the doc now now doc this headset that this virtual reality or augmented reality headset is right on. You put it on your face, right, Epic Journeyman? Is this on your face? Yeah, that's right. And and it uses a link, uh, generally speaking, a Wi-Fi link. And so Wi-Fi is a lot higher than our brain frequencies, of course. But what what I think what Jimmy's asking, what we're curious about here, is how does that kind of range of frequencies being, you know, on your head the entire right. time? face you know yeah on your face your... and beamed right in your eyes like this beams right in your eyes it's micro oled displays it's also the uh it's a really small panel actually and it beams it directly into your eyes so let me um pull the the conversation in direction which i'm sure you can relate to okay which is um it's possible to take consciousness and say warp it but change it in such a way that the reality around you can change radically now um and this of course is just the use of um psychedelics now there is a trend in neuroscience right now that is making the argument that this that we have essentially shared space or a consensus reality that our brain so what we perceive is essentially an internal hallucination not hallucinations but think of it like that you're not really seeing the world it's all an internal representation that's made by the firing of neurons between visual cortex and the other sensory modalities frontal lobes which are trying to make a understanding of the environment in which you're in and what idea is that your brain is making predictions all the time moment to moment about the consensus shared reality now 
in so to to get to the face mask uh, question, one of the one of the things that we know when you take some of the classical um, psychedelics, LSD, psilocybin, etc., um, we we can physiologically tell because of the movements of the eye, right? So the eye is constantly, if you think you're staring still at something, actually you're not. Your eyes are moving backwards and forwards, up and down, side to side, and they're making like a scan of the environment and they're feeding back in. And these are called micro saccades. And if you make a big one, so you look left or right, uh, that's a macro saccade. But what we know is that, that the frequency at which the eyeballs are making these saccades change, also the pupil will dilate. And so what you're when doing you is... The, when you say the frequency, do you mean the movement and the, the movement, the frequency of the movement, or you mean the actual, there's an actual frequency that's generated by the movement? So the, the, the frequency of the movement, which is generally around... I want to say it's about 50 hertz, right? The micro saccades uh-huh. that are being done. And that will tick up when you take these um, compounds. And so essentially what's happening is, is that you're beginning to, if you think about it in terms of information, you're, you're taking in more information from your environment. And so in, when that happens, in conjunction with the pharmacological effect of the compound you begin to change the cortical representation of your reality and your internal prediction mechanisms are let um, loose somewhat and so you begin to get this qualia for one the technical term you start to see more within your environment that otherwise would, your brain is filtering it out. And the reason your brain filters it out is because from an evolutionary perspective, if you're seeing elves and vapor trails and sparkles coming off everything, you're not, um, you're not going to be attending to the environment as well as you could be such that you, you, you're going to get predated on, right? Okay, so, so let me ask you. If you have, will the will the human brain change and evolve as a result of being inside of this augmented reality? Because Epic Journeyman was describing this Apple headset as though, um, so you and I, in this conversation, if we all had this thirty-eight hundred dollar headset plastered on our faces right now, mm. it would all it would seem like we were all in the same room together. And 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 uh, so when and we still see our spatial reality, that's the whole point. Like you still see your room around you, everything this way you do now, with 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 us in the room or placed in a certain area. Yeah, so Doc. What I'm suggesting is so take that as the basis point, and we're starting here, and the generations moving forward. How much of the actual reality are they going to want? I mean, is this is this that moment in deconstruction where it's called hyper reality, where the blending of reality and and the and the internet or technology puts a person's brain in the sense they would rather stay in the technology than actually be in the world? Uh, just look around you right now. 
<laughs> everyone. Look, we're all glued to screens and phones, and my kids are. I am. Um, it's very, very hard to break out of that particular um, technological paradigm. Now, the more fundamental question is: Would it be possible via, um, you know, the the screen technology and the mixing of reality to achieve something like you would with the shamanic molecules, which is this feeling or perception that there are other greater worlds that your that the brain is not normally seeing. Right. So you could you could potentially mimic that by you know projecting what would be psychedelic um visuals, for example. Right. So close your eyes on LSD and there's a tapestry of moving shapes and colours that you can um you know, that, that are part of the psychedelic experience and part of the um, mechanism by which the brain tries to make sense of this new universe, right? And so you often, you know, there's the phenomenon of synesthesia where senses begin to cross over one another and, you know, it's cliched, but you sort of, smell sound and um hear colors etc and that's that's because the error correcting process that the brain normally has has been um messed with i guess kind of it sort of starts to it starts to get to a point where you see the necessity for for uh, the big apple new york city big cities all the stuff the necessity for that really is is gone and really all we need is a little bubble thing with some gel in it and just sit in there in some imaginary reality uh you know clicking uh you know in this uh, augmented reality and generate energy just like in the matrix you know yeah I, I i would just say that <laughs> you it's, know what i mean it's because listen just visual input is not enough right um no. you're going to um the brain will take that input and realize that oh there's a there's a mask on my face i you know it's okay i can stop and enjoy the game or whatever the whatever it's projecting onto your retina but you have to um the, the body itself is still sending signals from everything else and until you can develop a fully immersive haptic um and it, haptics isn't even enough you've got to every sensory stimulus has a different qualia to it right you can tell the difference between Wouldn't someone that... stroking you versus someone uh, pinching you right these are these are all very very um complex neural processing um events that are taking place moment to moment and the the I mean, electronic how does would the brain reconcile um, these two things happening at once because it knows that it's not it ha it is where it is, but it has to, to totally it suspends disbelief that so that it's you know involved in this imaginary world, but it's still which, which we do all the time yeah, with movies, but, right? You, you sit there and you watch a movie and uh, you, you sort of extend your mind into the the story and and the screen as it were and 
um, these, I think we're far, far away from being able to um, fully, fully induce the psychedelic state through um, just gadgets on your face. I, I'm, yeah, well, I want to point out, like, the, the thing that's different about this is the, the, the mixed reality concept of it is a true mixed reality where um, I can invite you into my persistent reality. You'll see my room. You'll see my house. You'll be here. You know what I mean? It's a telepresence kind of nature. And I can go to visit Jimmy and I can go see you over at your place and we can all, we can meet at your, we can literally meet at your place. You know what I mean? And that'll be the backdrop. We'll see your, your environment. And so what, what I see as being a potential problem is that the persistent reality will start to become, for people who use this a lot, because it's going to be a really high uh, impact work item. I think people use it at work a lot. Mm -hmm. replace the cubicles and that kind of thing people will just work from yeah. home or park or wherever and just, do this right but mm -hmm. imagine now that you know what we call base reality is what actually becomes affected so our persistent reality because we react we interact a lot will be similar right i'll see your place you'll see my place we'll go visit doc right and, and our persistent reality as we see it through most of our day and brought into our dreams at night will be that reference point but then the actual base reality we used to share will slowly start to fade off. Right? Exactly. Where it's not you know what? Yeah. You know what? Epic, brilliant, because you're reminding me of that case of the solitary confinement, the shows that we yeah. did on that, where the guy was in a room and it was a white room. The lights were on all the time. And as he was there for a few days, he started to dream that he was in the room. And so he didn't, he got to a point where he reached this point where he didn't know if he was dreaming or if he was just sitting there in the room. And that's the point I think that you're talking about right there, Epic Journeyman. Uh, I would, I would say this, that the brain's mechanisms would update very, very rapidly should the power go off on your mask, right? And you're going to realize yes, that, 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 um, that consensus reality of the meeting that you have if you power breaks your senses are evolutionarily tuned to look for look for that change now there are ways of warping that um i guess consensus reality and so you know there's these are the uh, what are they called tropane type hallucinogens um scopolamine is the probably the most famous of them but these these hallucinogens are renowned for people engaging or, or believing in their in alternate realities right and it's 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 a weird one because it's unlike the serotonergic or the phenethylamines that you have this ability to or, or this molecule has this ability to convince the mind's error correcting reality building properties that it could be in a completely different space where and and someone who hasn't had their brain chemistry messed with can't can't see what the scopolamine tripper is undergoing or going through and if you you try to interfere with it they can become quite irrational etc and um they, there's um many so hold on a second here let me ask you this question then mm. so an, a consensus reality to me 
it's I, I'm hearing also something that that I'm familiar with. Don't look at me. I'm I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> something I'm familiar with was something called an agreement reality. And so what what is the difference between consensus reality and agreement reality? Because let's say uh, I'm in a group of people and we all believe in whatever it is. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I don't believe in it. I'm just throwing this stuff out there. We all believe in ghosts, but we all believe in whatever we believe in. And we all get together and we tell stories about it or whatever. You know, to us, it's real, but to everybody else, they don't see it. It's like deadheads. You know, people hated the Grateful Dead, but certain people liked it. You know, and we don't care about the ones that didn't like it. They wanted to know about the ones that did like it because they were broadcasting frequencies, man, and they were testing. Um, go ahead. I didn't mean to go go down a road, but so the I, I, I can hear something in the background. Is it me yeah, or too? There's some muffled something or other going on. Um, but um, Janet, Janet Yellen, I apologize. Janet, Janet Yellen in uh, well, what a babe. What a babe. I, I didn't mean to put the sound on. I apologize. <laughs> um, I was speaking about her earlier, but uh, the so again, this comes down to predictive capacity and how well is your world model going to allow you to move through space and time, and you can you can believe what you want. Right. But there's there's going to be a point where that hypothesis that your brain has built is going to be tested somehow. And you might. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, let's just say, I mean, everyone's familiar with the game, um, you know, video game world. But everyone's familiar with Grand Theft Auto. Now, if you could be just if you could be kicking it in your in your sweet pad. Uh, like you are in Grand Theft Auto, um, why would you want to come back out of there and be like out out in the world over here? I mean, what? Because biology why? biology will take hold at some point, right? So you, you you're just you're gonna have to take a dump, you're gonna have to go to the toilet, you're gonna have to yeah. eat, right? These are these are things that will break these what are essentially fictive realities. Okay, and so yeah. the, the way to think about it is the, the shared space, consensus reality, is the um, most evolutionarily advantageous state that you are trying to get to. Now, th th think of it this way. If you get on the road and you're driving your car, you're going to make an assumption that most of the people driving their cars are seeing the same as you and are going to act in the same manner as you are, because if you don't, the consequences can be catastrophic, right? And it's the same in social environments, right? You think of that as driving down a complex road and you it, it's incumbent upon you to be able to make the right turns and press the brakes at the right time so that other pe uh, other organisms that are in in that are extant in the environment act appropriately with you because if you don't then the uh, the consequences could be devastating and i'll give a really simple example 
but you could come across a dog, right? And let's say it's not today, but 200 years ago. There's a, there's a way to approach and, and act around a dog that most people get through just growing up and experience, experiencing dogs, right? And so you don't just go up and kick the dog because you're going to get bitten, and if you get bitten, then there's going to be a whole bunch of wale that come from that, potentially disease, rabies, uh, you name it. And so you're, this is this adaptation model which has to be updated all the time. And whilst the brain is doing this, it's forming memories about what, what has happened, what happened when X interacted with Y and what were the consequences and if that was bad or if it was good. And then you go... And... Check, this out. Check this out, Doc. Hmm. Epic Journeyman. In this augmented virtual reality headset that we're talking about, it creates its own memories of what goes on in it while you're in it. Explain that to explain that. Yeah. To so, so, okay. So we're not there yet as far as far as mimicking reality or anything perfectly. It's not the holodeck, but what's interesting is you can, you can snapshot or take a movie of, of let's say us meeting or going to beach together or something, right. Or you play with your kids and it's a 3d model. It's a 3d model of that environment of what you were looking at. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a model. It's, it's an actual photograph 3d movie that you can play back anytime. It's very black mirrorish, man. It really is. So you could capture that moment in time and, and actually relive it as like as if, as if you're there in the sense, at least visually, that you're you can have that reconstruction. And, and I think I, that's I what su- I'm I getting submit, at is this is I submit to you, and I'll throw this out to the doc, that the brain already does that. Oh, oh I mean, it does, I'm sure. It, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's building a, a when a, I remember doc, when I remember that high school dance, you know, and I, in my first dance at the high school dance or whatever, and I remember it, I'm remembering it in a sense that's 3D. I mean, I'm, 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 you know, taking myself back there in my mind. I'm recalling it. I'm bringing it up. I mean, am I creating the same type of thing that happens in a virtual reality, but am I creating it with my own brain? So that's, that's a very deep, complex question to, to answer in, in, a, in a soundbite, but um memory right, we got on i good so memory in waking state is some it's essentially think of it as like a sort of um random access memory in a in a computer right that you can you can visualize it somewhat in your in, across your neural architecture it doesn't project out into the world such that your interpretation of consensus reality the energy state at which reality is suddenly turns into your high school dance now put someone into let someone go to sleep and let them enter REM state then that person feels that these experiences are more uh, more tangible and more solid than the than consensus reality because in the dream state you know the the brain goes to great lengths to suppress motor movement right so you don't act out like the scopolamine tripper your Mm -hmm. visits into different um consensus realities that the brain is making and often you know memory and sleep is about um analyzing what's happened and uh, in complex ways to 
they say that they can make a copy of my brain and that it'll that copy of my brain will have all my memories in it and that they're going to call that memory i'm just saying this is hypothetically if you can synthetically create my brain and you make another one over here and you can call up my high school dance right out of that brain and that that copy of my brain would project this memory because because when when i hear them saying they can copy my brain and you know blah 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 i find it very difficult to conceive in my own mind there are techniques available right now where they can um with machine learning and um sorry i didn't catch that is it an, isn't it called an encephalogram uh slightly different but you can use eeg as part of the input to the and this is work that was done in japan um that they can build out the images that you're dreaming about by looking at the at the recorded activity and what was the associated mapping of the your your response when you were shown an object so say you were shown uh i don't know fine work of art that had i don't know different objects on it something abstract maybe and then when you sleep um the the encoding or decoding of your brain signals would look for the same patterns as it made when it was looking at the uh, stimulus to begin with so we're at that point where we can sort of reconstruct imagery in dream states can we can we take the subjective element of it build a synthetic machine and capture the you know the fine-grained synaptic electrolytic yeah, dynamics I mean, of of your brain, put it onto a chip and say we've got Jimmy Jimmy's consciousness now on a chip. But well, I would say no, because if, if Jimmy's still living and Jimmy makes different choices and is in a different environment as to what the chip is in, the the chip's evolutionary arc will be different in terms of um the images and the feelings and subjective states that it tries to process. And so Jimmy as a conscious individual is, and this, this is why it's so important about maintaining sovereignty over, over the individual, not allowing um, tech fascists to get in into this uh, very private... Cognitive reality. Well, look, if you, if you agree and you want to play a computer game with augmented reality, that sounds like a, a blast to me, right? Um, do I want them uh, grabbing my brain data and uploading it and doing all types of um, analysis on it so that they can improve this this technology is inherently dual use right and so we have a very difficult ethical uh question here and i i know apple being apple is very likely taking your data and um running all sorts of analytics on it as they um as they can correlate a stimulus to your your behavior and you know they're probably grabbing some eeg behavior as well, well i would imagine 
let me ask you this now. I asked Bruce once before, and I've asked a couple people about, you know, when you think uh, in your mind about an idea, do you hear words, you know, do you hear your voice telling yourself what you, you know, the word in words? And Bruce said he didn't, he didn't use that method. He didn't have words in his brain when he was thinking. And so if if it's if it's possible for people to have different ways of interpreting um i mean it's not one one solid thing across the plane right so i mean in order for some for someone to copy your brain and have i mean because i mean everything that happens in you, in you is as a result of a chemical reaction that's going on within within you in that moment right you, you could make a predictive simulcrum, okay, that says we've got this data from the, the Jimmy organism, and we can mm. we know that when and this is it's it's like an advanced form of the studies that I would do with uh, a monkey, right? You you control the behavioral space and um, dimensions in which the animal can move, and then you look mm. at the brain activity as it as it changes to do a very, you know, very, very basic behavior. But we've sort of passed the Rubicon with respect to being able to take your, you know, you, you've got accelerometers on you and no doubt they're built into that headset and it's tracking your eye movements, et cetera, and the muscle uh, activity around your face, et cetera. And they, they know that when you're playing, I don't know, face mask zombie game, that uh -huh. in, at that particular moment in the game, your brain state makes these emergent patterns of electrical activity, right? And then they could say, okay, we, when these types of scenarios happen in the simulcrum, we can make the, the, the Jimmy simulcrum do the same thing. Um, do, does, that, does that simulation yeah. have free will like a human being does? And I would, I would make the argument that, they, that it doesn't. We're still far, far away from really understanding what the substrate of consciousness is. And this ties back to the, um, the consensus reality versus the, let's call it higher, one of a better thing, a higher energy state. Right, where reality changes in such a way that it's it's perceived and like the psychedelic state. So in the neurosciences right now, they're trying um, to test the premise that the so that this would work around sort of things like DMT, right? That people report the same experience now. Is it is it possible for people to simultaneously take DMT, extend the period? So in this case, they'll use it intravenously, and then and then be able to link up in the higher energy conscious state. These are, these are studies that are ongoing right now. I I would make the prediction that it would be very, very, it's still going to be a subjective realm and it will be, they're not going to 
You may be entering a new dimension, but the dimension that you're entering is unique to you. Okay. And I, I, I think we're, I know where they're trying to go with these types of studies, that they can, um, well, the, the simple point is they think that they, they can talk to these entities that people see uh, in these psychedelic states and pull back information from it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that that's, um, that that's possible uh, in this, um, in the current state of the art. Let's, let's no, put it that no, way. No, no, not at all. Not at all. You, you, know, you know, I did pick out of this, though, that I'm sure you agree on, is that um, the micro-expressions, the eye tracking, the, the character, the eye movement, uh, focus, the brain state that can be monitored in that way, just interacting, because we don't have the tactile feel, we don't have pheromones, we don't have base reality uh, touchstones, literally, that we can refer to. We can, we, can mim we can mimic and simulate the auditory and the visual perfectly, I think. I think, I think we do that perfectly now. But, you know, sure. you can't taste it and all that stuff. But here's the thing. When we're having these meetings and people, we're talking at different spaces, right? We're interacting a lot. Think about it from a, a, a corporate perspective of trying to uh, uh, look at it, making a deal, like a financial or uh, a deal or a diplomatic deal, right? So all that data is being caught. If you do it that way, it's being caught. And it's subject to analysis to where the uh, the diplomats, for example, can can look at it and go back and use their, you know, uh, wide range of uh, uh, <laughs> assets they have at their you know disposal. To see if you were lying or not, or what you know, what tips they had, just in the interaction had. Every single bit of it's being tracked. Your eye, like I said, your eye movements, your expressions, your micro expressions, mm -hmm. so you were telling the truth or not, that and kind it, of thing. And you're teaching it with every experience that you have through it. You're showing it how you'll, how what you'll, you know, what your heart rate will be, what your, what you'll look like when you lie, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, there's no, there's not going to be any way to avoid every single aspect of a person to be, to be examined and vacuumed up and utilized. Yeah. As but, 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 that's, it's a, it's a very interesting point that we're entering this age where the, the machine learning could be such that if you're in a high pressure negotiation, that they, you want to know how much the other party is lying to you with respect to. How much they're prepared to fulfill what they're gonna, what they say they're gonna do with the contract that you sign. Um, mm -hmm. The the problem that we have right now is that there's a, a a deference to algorithms and computing such that I think we're making radically stupid decisions. Uh, it, Again, I give ex exhibit A being the last three years and the current environment in which we find ourselves right now, where you've you've literally got a serious hot war in Europe again. Um, I'm I would make the presumption that there are high level think tanks, deep state organisations that are computing all these elements of the equation one of a better expression you don't think rand corporation isn't plugging in and, and weighting the probabilities of each uh each event as it unfolds as it tries as it f tries to sell its data to decision makers in um or, or the facade of decision makers for, that, that, that they give to the public all this is going on and the uh 
I've said it before, I'll say it again. Everything that we've gone through in the last three years feels algorithmic. It doesn't feel natural. The way oh. um, governments responded was all, yeah. all coordinated and it kind of tells me that they're receiving the same instruction set from tools that they've put too much faith into. And right now we need... Oh, you need human beings to step back in and get a control of where it is that we're heading. And that, you're hearing the discussion about, you know, AI being um, existentially dangerous. Yes, it is. Um, it ties into um, dual-use molecular biology, and you know, it was it was in the discussion earlier about what are they looking for in the genomes. Well, the, the grounded response I was going to give is what we see already is that you're trying to make racial differences with respect to the ability to deploy these agents and in a way that's, uh, again, surreptitious under the radar such that you can apply force to them so that you can you can then game your system. It's a, it's a, it's a stupid state to get into, but this, this, this is where we are right now and the u.s you know, we're on record that the, the u.s air force was looking for russian dna right in ukraine and they wanted to tell the difference between ukrainian and russian dna even though genetically that they're, they're as close as you could get phylogenetically but they were they were looking for that and, and specifically they were looking for synovial uh, joint fluid and the and the production of that and if you can if you can selectively target that that's a great incapacitation agent that's again race selective and you know, props to rfk jr for calling out that we're on this precipice of race-based biowarfare through synthetic biology right now and i would say it's already upon us and they've deployed it already where can they find you doc uh, I, I stream most days. Um, .com, um is where you can sort of get in touch with me and uh, keep up to date with where, uh, where and when I am streaming. I'm on Twitter at Nest Commander now. Thanks, Chris, for that name. <laughs> nice. But uh, the um, Rumble, uh, I, I stream on there. That's been a platform that's been relatively um, censorship-free. And um, yeah, I'm I'm around most days doing this, and on our Discord server, I'm available. Nice. Well, I want to thank you for cruising by. I mean, so when when are you guys going to have the book together, and when's that? Oh, going to you know, that's a big step announcing, but it means we've got to do the the work. I mean, the backbone is there. Um, it's like trying. It's like telling somebody you're going to quit smoking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, now the, you got quit. You know, as long as you don't tell anybody you're writing a book, you don't have to write it. Yeah. So now tonight you said it, so man, it's got to it's got to be done. And look, this, the simple fact is that um, I think we are in perilous times. And is it going to be the polished gem and magnum opus that I've imagined writing all my life? No, I don't think so. It's about getting the data down. What we do know about these systems that are being deployed how they've how they've utilized them against the public and hopefully it will just act as a 
repository where people can pick up and carry on so, the research? Doc, will, yeah. it be, will it be just you and Charles and Joanna, or you have other researchers in um, the book? That, that, us three would be primarily writing it, but um, like I say, as, as speed is of the essence, um, yep. we're looking for people, if they want to contribute a chapter, um, about a particular you know, detail. Yeah, Bruce McDonald. Yeah, Bruce, Bruce, Bruce McDonald is one of our guys. I'm on a book. I'm on a book right now. Sorry. Yeah. He's on a book. He says. I, I imagine it's a full time. It is. He um, told me a little bit. I mean, I'm not going to say anything, Bruce, but you know, you. So Getting back to the idea of biological warfare, and you say, Doc, that it's upon us now. Now, would this be a foreign adversary that's done this, or is this our, like, who are the combatants in this biological warfare? Yeah, that's that's the um, the problem, right? Where where's the enemy right now? And you know, I would, you know, you you can think about nation states, etc., and. Yeah, that's one operational level, but most people listening to this get the concept that there are transnational organizations, there are groups, you know, whether you want to class them as religious or whatever, um, that all have a idea about how they want to shape the future. We're running out of time, brother. And out of all those, who, who do we have to worry about the most? I'm not sure. I've got my my opinions uh, in in that space, um, but and for sure the management um, class, like like the WEF, you know, they rank very very high up there. But there's more. McCarrandojo.com. Check them out. Bruce McDonald, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Pacific, Independent Broadcast Network. Epic Journeyman, Rock and Rio. Bruce McDonald. Everybody else, thanks for being here. We appreciate you. See you next week. What a shot that you could be if you could shoot at me with those angry eyes. All right, I'm going to pull it out. I'm watching. Um, if people are even watching <laughs> this stream. Let's see. Uh, the chat is moving. I have 80 people watching. Um, Okay, a uh, bit of a, it's always an interesting um, trip, I guess, for uh, for a Saturday or Friday evening. Uh, again, I would say, uh, if you like, please support the stream, uh, links down below. And um, I'll be back, I'll try and do a stream with Charles, maybe he was um, locked into, it's probably still going on, a space about um, SV40. I think we need to do some... Uh, some breakdown of that um, with respect to what I was hearing being said. There needs to be some course correction. And um, I, yeah, I'm going to get out of this chair. I'm about done for the moment. And so maybe I'll be back later. Um, tomorrow, I'm still waiting to hear back from John or other, other people. But supposedly we're going to have a... Um, the Gnostic debate versus the Orthodox Christianity, and I'm going to—I'll just be sitting in and uh, trying to keep everyone 
focused on the conversation. I don't have uh, much much opinion either way in that domain. Um, all right, so I'm out of here. Let me just. Uh, oh, you are all Janet Yelland. All right, uh, I am out of here. I will see you in the next one, folks. Take care. God bless. Bro, you don't know how angry I am. You do, I'm like, I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off. After reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these gaffers. I will fucking kill each fucking gaffer. I swear to you. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually saying. Fuck these gaffers. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never. No. I will fucking die. Fucking fighting for my fucking fillies and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. All that fight. This guy. Let us go.